Yeah, the Bible is a fairly long book. But even though it's long, it has a completely united theme. And that's remarkable when you consider the fact that some 40 human authors, under the inspiration of the Spirit, penned this book. And they did so over the span of about 16 centuries. Obviously, due to that time frame, but also due to geography, many of those authors never knew each other at all. But even though there were several, several authors over a long time, the, the theme of the Bible is still one thing. The theme is united from beginning to end. The Bible's purpose is one, and that is to reveal God to man and to provide a way for man back to God. And from beginning to end of Scripture, that is the theme. And it's interesting that as you read through the Bible, you come across that idea of God revealing himself and man being brought back to God all through the Bible. But you actually find it literally at the beginning, the middle, and the end. And this morning what I want to do is see how the very beginning of the Bible, the very middle of the Bible, and the very end of the Bible lay out for us that theme of being centered in God. Think with me first of all this morning about the very first words of the Bible. And you know them well, but if you, if you want to look at them, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Well, we're told there of God's creation. You know, the Bible never questions the existence of God. Instead, it begins with a very straightforward, declarative statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But we all know that that one straightforward statement is also one of the most controversial to be found in the whole Bible. In fact, on the day that I began putting some notes together for this particular lesson a couple of weeks ago, I stumbled across an article online that questioned creation. You may think, well, that's, that's not hard to find. There's hundreds of thousands of those on the Internet. That's, that's just not hard to find. And you can find them from all different angles. So what interested me about this one was both the content but also where it was found. You see, the article was one that talked about how, in their mind, the science of geology disproves creation, or the science of geology, really the angle they were taking, taking proves evolution. And you think, well, you, you can find articles about that online. That's, that's no problem at all, and that's true. You can find articles about that. But what's interesting is where that particular article was found. You see, the website that I stumbled across this article upon was a tech and gadget website. Censure between articles about cell phones and printers and the latest announcements from Google was an article saying that geology disproves creation. Now, just the simple fact that a website like that would run this particular article shows us the varied amounts of attack and of displeasure that people see from those of us who actually believe in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. But the Bible never questions God. From the very first pages of Scripture, God is there. And God is simply in control. The opening chapter of Genesis, the opening chapter of the Bible, makes it clear that an all-powerful God simply spoke and things were created. From light on day one, through animals and mankind on day six. Now we could take this idea and just say that it's important for us to know and to to live within our lives that creation is true. And certainly we could look at some things from Genesis chapter 1 and from the world around us as well and know that we have in Genesis 1 an accurate record of the origins or of the beginnings. But I want to take this another way this morning as we think about this idea being centered on God. 
I want us to notice that from the very first words of Scripture, God is at the center of it all. You and I, when we study Scripture, need to take ourselves and need to take others back to God through His Word. And we all need to make sure that we are emphasizing God when we read and study every part of the Bible for ourselves. Of course, as we read through the Bible, there are a lot of biographies, famous people in Scripture, Abraham and David and many others. There are a lot of great historical facts that we could look at. There are many other things that we could consider, like the beauty of poetry found in books like Psalms and Proverbs. We could look at some of the facts in in Scripture about how the Bible proves certain uh, geography uh, facts, different scientific facts, and on and on it goes. And all of those things are found in the Bible. And all of those things are helpful to our understanding of God and of other other Scriptures in, in the Bible itself. But no matter what we study in the Bible, we never need to lose sight of this one fact. Its center is on God. No matter where we are reading in Scripture, yes, the Bible tells us how to live at times. It gives us practical applications. But no matter where we are in Scripture, we must always keep our primary focus on what does this passage tell me or teach me about God? Does it teach me about one of His attributes? Does it tell me about His grace, His love, His wrath, His all-knowing nature, and on and on it goes? Does this particular passage tell me about a way in which I should honor God? or reverence God, or worship God? Is the passage telling me certain things that I should do or not do simply because the all-powerful Creator has said so? And on and on we could go. See, we need, and I say we including myself, we need a high, a full, a glorious view of God. And that needs to be seen every time we read any narrative, any poem, any parable, any page in Scripture. But all that starts at the very beginning. When God is simply on the scene, He is already there as the Creator, the all-powerful One who is always existent, the One who designs a beautiful and remarkable universe. The beginning of the Bible focuses us on God's creation. The middle of the Bible focuses us on man's confidence. Now, it takes a little while to figure out what the middle words of the Bible are. Thank you, Google. You see, in the King James Version of the Bible, there are just over 782,000 words. And depending on which translation you have, you might have a different word count. I'm, I'm guessing not many of you have ever taken the time to count every word of the Bible. No, I haven't either. But due to translation differences, there are slightly different word counts. And you can get online and find different articles that argue over what the actual two middle words of the Bible are. But most agree that if you use the King James Version of the Bible, it's interesting that the very two middle words of the Bible are found in Psalm 118 and verse 9, and the words are literally, The Lord. Those are the two middle words of the 782,000 plus to be found in Scripture. If you count the number of verses in the Bible, the verse just previous, Psalm 118 and verse 8, is actually the middle verse of the Bible. And so when you come to the very center part, the very middle part of the Bible, what are we reading about? Well, as we read together a few moments ago, notice verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 118. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You see, the very middle of the Bible, as it just happens to be there in the center, is telling us to be humble before God, but also to trust totally and have our confidence only in Him. 
one ancient scholar in writing about these particular verses, Psalm 118 and verse 8 and 9, where it talks about knowing that we should trust God more than anything else, said this, All make this acknowledgment. And yet there is scarcely one among a hundred who is fully persuaded that God alone can afford him sufficient help. End quote. I think he's right. That every one of us who believes the Bible at all would read those verses in Psalm 118 and say, yes, that's right, I, I agree with that. But how many of us always live that way? That it's really better to trust in God even than other people. If David is the human author of Psalm 118, how well did he know that it was better to trust in God than any person, even than princes? How many times in the life of David was his life undermined or even hurt by another person, even another member of royalty, even someone who was in his own family? David was a great leader, but there were many times when David felt very much alone. And that's reflected in a lot of the Psalms on several occasions. But here in these verses, and in fact, really in this entire Psalm, we see the outgrowth of that. And that is a full and abiding trust in God over and above any human, even one who is royalty. You see, our confidence in God is not tested when things are going well. That that should be obvious. But our confidence in God is not always tested just when things are not going well. Although that is certainly a test at times and a a test for some people more than others. But I want want us to think about this. One of the strongest tests of where our confidence really is, is when other people scatter away from us. When we feel we are alone. Is all our trust then tied up in other people? Is it in human institutions? Is it even in humanity as a whole? Or when the world even our friends, even those we might consider acquaintances who are powerful and who could help us, when all of those seem to desert us, it's then then that we know whether or not our trust is fully and completely in the Lord. That's the only place where we can truly have confidence because God is the only one who is perfect. In those previous verses in Psalm 118, David had already given great words of confidence. Starting in verse 6, he said, "'The Lord is on my side. I will not fear.'" What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. But David wasn't done because after the verses we're thinking about, he just kept going in speaking of his confidence in the Lord and in the Lord alone. Read me verses 10 through verse 14. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He, the Lord, has become my salvation. In verses 10 through 14, in every verse, the Lord is mentioned a total of six times if you include the word he, because we know it's talking about the Lord. It is not hard to tell where David's confidence was. But all that centers around verses 8 and 9, where David states how much better God is than man. People will disappoint. God never does. People are limited. God is all-powerful and all-knowing. People sin. God is perfect. People will be untruthful. God cannot lie. People will leave. 
God has promised to the faithful, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you might be facing in life, put your confidence, your ultimate confidence in God. You have an all-powerful God at the beginning of Scripture. You have the one in whom we can place our confidence in the middle of Scripture. And how does the Bible close? God's creation, man's confidence, and the last words are Christ's coming. The final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, deals with Christians who are suffering terribly for their faith. We may not understand every last sign and symbol found in the book of Revelation. We may not get everything about it. But whether you understand everything about the book or not, the overall message is clear. And that is that in the end, Christ and those who are with him are victorious. And so the Bible ends with a message of hope. Hope that helps us to endure in this life, but also the greatest hope of eternal life in heaven with our Lord forever. And with that message, that hope as the background, the Bible closes in Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 20, with these words. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Life is not always easy. We know that. And even though we serve the Almighty, as Genesis 1-1 had taught us, and even though we put our confidence in Him, as Psalm 118 had taught us, We know that life is still not going to be easy. The enemy, your adversary, the devil, still prowls around, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He is still real and powerful. We're going to face struggles in life. God has promised to see us through those struggles, but he has never said to act as if the struggles are fake or not real. So knowing that, what a great blessing it is to center our lives on the great hope that Jesus is coming again. There will be a time when for the faithful, suffering will be no more. We won't have to face another temptation in heaven. God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. We won't have any more pain. We will never face Satan again. And contrast that to those who are unfaithful. We will not shed another tear, but hell is described as a place of weeping. We will not have any more pain, but hell is described as a place of gnashing of teeth. We will never face temptations from Satan again. And while I don't suppose those in hell will actually be tempted, they will be in the presence of Satan. We will be in the presence of God, and those in hell are away from him for all eternity. Those who are faithful have a great promise, have a great hope. It's why we look forward with great anticipation to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it's why John would end the Bible with those words, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It's why when we sing songs like Jesus is Lord, we're not afraid to sing, Lord, come quickly. While there are good things in this life that we enjoy, this life simply cannot be compared with the joy that awaits the faithful throughout all eternity in heaven. When Jesus comes again, all of that begins. And so we have a great hope and a great anticipation of that day, and we pray for it to come. God is all-powerful, Genesis 1.1. God is the one in whom we can have our confidence, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9. God will send his Son to usher in eternity, Revelation 22, verse 21. At the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of the Bible, Everything 
Everything is centered upon God. If we are going to be people who claim to love Scripture, then should our very lives not be just so focused, not be always centered on God. In Revelation chapters 4 and 5, we're given a glimpse into, the, into heaven itself. Obviously, it's a vision. It's filled with symbols. But it's interesting that that vision into heaven gives us a picture of the throne room of God. If you read Revelation 4 very carefully, almost everything found in that chapter, in that picture, has something to do with light because God is light and Him is no darkness at all. But it's interesting if you read chapter 4 especially very carefully, everything focuses toward the throne. Everything looks into or toward the central part, which is where God is. And then in chapter 5, where the Lamb, Jesus Christ, takes His rightful place. All the praise of heaven flows towards, if you please, that central place, the throne room of God. But may I suggest to those of us who are Christians, we shouldn't wait for heaven to have all of our praise flow toward God. To have everything that we do be centered on Him. In fact, to be faithful Christians, our lives must be centered on Him at all times. Everything that we think, everything that we say, everything that we do should cause us to look forward to that day when we see Him face to face and when faith has become sight. Three questions. Number one, is your life centered on the all-powerful God? Question number two, do you always, always have your full confidence in Him? Question number three, are you anticipating the time when His Son returns and time will be no more? You see, if the, question, the answer to any of those questions is no, then now is the time to make it right. Now is the time to change those answers to yes. Now is the time to say, everything, everything that I do will be just like the Bible, beginning, middle, and end, centered and focused on God. This morning, if you need to come to Him, and make Him the central part of your life. Make Him your all. We invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.